why this presentation is for you. Encouragement is a very effective tool in the healing process. It has the power to give hope, and it has the power to motivate and change people. Sometimes we think of the, the leadership are the people who need to do the encouraging, and we should be the recipients of that encouragement, but that's not true. Everyone, as a Christian, is called upon to encourage his brothers and sisters. We're commanded in the New Testament to encourage each other. Each person's individual ministry of encouragement can help someone in a different way. Encouragement is touching people in the right way, inspiring them to hang in there and persevere in the midst of problems. It's communicating the language of acceptance of who they really are at their deepest level, and that's one of the most important issues. I see people taking notes. Outside the door was a little sheet to um, sign up if you want the email version, and we can email it to you. So if you don't want to take extensive notes, just sign up on your way out, and I'll email it to you. Encouragement is not just a technique to be mastered. It also involves a sensitivity to people. The ministry of encouragement requires that the encourager have some awareness of what is happening inside people, and that he speaks words which which reflect a genuine regard for others, especially letting them know that they are valuable. And the effect of of encouragement can stimulate hope, and it can give them um, a hope that the problems that exist, that there are solutions. And that seen from an eternal perspective, life does make sense, even in the midst of problems. can go to... What are some of the reasons that we want to give encouragement? I think it's an urgent priority in today's world because there's so much doubt, disappointment, despair, and hopelessness. We need to come alongside people and dialogue with them so that they can have a renewed hope and faith and be energized with new power. Parents especially need to be cheerleaders for their children, showing support, love, and encouragement. It's not often you see license plates like this one. I noticed it not so long ago. Um, 3GR8KIDZ. Three great kids. And I thought, wow, somebody's really proud of their children to actually put it on their license plate as a personalized plate. We need to be doing more of that. Not stuffing their heads full of pride or whatever, but just encouraging them and, and acknowledging their accomplishments. Encouragement is the unique ministry of the triune God. God is the Holy Spirit, or actually the Holy Spirit is the one that encourages us. And we appreciate how good it feels to be encouraged in the spirit, but we cannot forget that we need to do it to others. The heart of all saints needs to be refreshed at times. And uh, Philemon 1.7 says, For if we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Encouragement is the opportunity to start something that may never end because of its ripple effect. It's a gift that keeps on giving and giving and may someday come back to you. Why do we need encouragement? Well, I believe it started back in the days of Adam in our sinful state. Before Adam sinned, he enjoyed the open and intimate fellowship with God. But sin brought terrible consequences. Among them was a presence of a new emotion called fear. Before he sinned, there was nothing to fear. However, when sin entered paradise, then came disorder, uncertainty, emotional stress, broken relationships, and death was introduced. All were prompted by fear. 
For the first time in his life, Adam had to wrestle with a sense of unacceptability. The final source of our fear is an awareness of our profoundly unacceptable condition. We know we're undone before God. We know something is wrong with us. We're not as we should be. Therefore, it's natural to fear rejection. Rejection is so terribly painful that we want, above all else, to avoid it, so we come to fear exposure. Although our ultimate fear has to do with rejection by God, we learn to attach the fear to someone more tangibly present. The root of our fear is an understanding that we are not acceptable and that exposure of who we really are will bring rejection. People ever since Adam have been searching desperately for ways to cover their unworthiness, to feel good about themselves, despite the fact that they are worthy of rejection. Fearful people committed to avoiding the terror of exposure will look for places to hide. And if you, you can see up there on the slide that we have a circle drawn, and fear is the center of it, and you've got this defensive layer around you. We all do. And we're very reticent to let people come any closer than that outside defensive layer. We protect ourselves. We have endless ways of of protective strategies. Some people are jokers. Some people use silliness, a cocky attitude, boasting, silence, manipulative uh, tears, feigned repentance and humility. A defensive layer is whatever you do or don't do that's intended to protect you from exposure and help you to avoid whatever you fear. People can spend their entire lives hiding behind these defensive layers. And when we meet at the level of our layers, determined to remain safely hidden behind our protective masks, our primary commitment is to avoid exposure. At all costs, you don't want people to, to know who you really are. And that's what we call <clears throat> excuse me, layer-to-layer fellowship. And that happens very often in our churches. And I don't know how you feel, but often you come away and you talk to this person, you talk to that person, but it's only surface chatting. We never get below the layers. And we come away feeling unsatisfied, distant, untouched, superficial, and most important, safe. This produces shallow surface community. You can see it here. Encouragement will not develop in this kind of a surface community. Words spoken from a layer are sinful. They don't reflect a concern for others' needs as greater than your own. When layered Christians meet together, their purpose is to protect themselves from each other and to enhance their own self-esteem. Layer-to-layer fellowship produces surface community, a relational structure in which people do not really touch each other. No encouragement can take place in this kind of a community. We need to replace that surface community with biblical fellowship if we're to encourage one another whenever we gather together. Uh, We need to create a a, a safe and loving atmosphere. And we do that by trying to come closer to people, giving them a a chance to be acceptable, to to develop a loving relationship. And our words of love can encourage and encouragement depends less on words than our motivation behind them. Words that encourage are inspired by love, not fear. The words spoken must never function as a layer for the speaker. Real encouragement occurs when words are spoken from a heart of love to another's recognized fear. You can see that. There's no encouragement if, it's, if you're speaking from your fear to another person's fear. There's limited encouragement if, if, if you're speaking from um, love from your love layer to the, to their fear layer but it's still limited 
you need to get below that. The Ministry of Encouragement requires that the encourager have some awareness of what is happening inside people and that he speak words which reflect a genuine regard for others as valuable. When do we encourage? And that last one will show you. That's the true encouragement where you're speaking from your love. You've gotten rid of your defensive layer. You're speaking from your love and you've gone below their defensive layer of fear. That's when encouragement can have an effect. When do we encourage? There's endless opportunities to encourage one another, but they often go unrecognized. You need to recognize an opportunity to encourage someone. There, two conditions must be met. You, the, the encourager must consciously be aware that his goal is to encourage. And encouragers need to look or learn the fine art of using door openers. We talked a little bit about that in class this morning. And I was tempted to almost use that expression, but I thought, well, it pertains more to our form on encouragement. Um, People don't normally reveal their concerns openly. More often, they drop hints that things are not as they should be. And when an encourager suspects that a brother or a sister or anyone is sharing a disguised need, he must respond with sensitivity. Door openers convey an accepting interest in whatever the other wants to say. Door closers, on the other hand, convey a bored or critical indifference uh, to whatever may be troubling the other person. And Sometimes you don't even have to say a word. It's your attitude. You're disinterested. You're not looking at them. You're not really paying much attention. You have another agenda or another motive. And that person senses it, and they will close up right away. They will not relate to you. So quickly, what are the benefits of of encouraging others? We're giving away a piece of ourselves. We give love, compassion, kindness, and it always comes back to bless us. And helping others will fill the lonely places in our own character and build character for us. We're living beyond ourselves for someone else brings meaning to our own lives. And then when we have meaning, we can bear whatever comes in our life. And it brings us a sense of satisfaction and worth rather than hiding behind our defensive layer to give us that worth. People want to follow encouragers, and that inspires them to go past their comfort zone and influence someone else. We develop a grander vision thinking, which is looking inside at what a person could be. We're recognizing the potential of that person and helping them to become that. We're able to better understand people, not to fear them, which builds friendships. We learn how to cope positively with tragedy in our life, and others will become stronger and more, uh, you'll be more adaptable, more resilient. And the confidence gained then will help impact uh, our feelings of significance and security again. Our emotional sphere expands as we learn to live our life with gratitude and generosity. So instead of worrying about me, we need to start worrying about the other person and helping them. We'll also attract like-minded people who will be there for us when we need them. And our health depends on it. Learning to be positive during crisis is critical to long-term health. There's a saying that says, we live by encouragement and we die without it, slowly, sadly, and angrily. Now, what are the traits of a, of a, and skills of an encourager? Good encouragers must be selfless, genuine, or real people. They must be assertive and not afraid to take aggressive action. And by that, I mean to seize an opportunity, because often the opportunity is gone in a moment, and they must have a spirit of humility. An encourager needs, knows the power of his words and uses that force to build up everyone. The church should be the place where we should get built up, not beat up. 
Our words should be like building blocks. We need to build on each other's tower that we're building, not come along and knock it down by a careless word or an action that we've done. There's a, a, a number of Bible verses, and I'm watching our time. I may not be able to read them all, but there are some real... Uh, verses that encourage us of the, and, and tell us about the great potential of words to heal or to destroy. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are, the po- are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12.25, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Proverbs 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And the one that we often hear quoted, Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And Proverbs 15, 23, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. At this point, maybe I'll just share one quick uh, personal experience. I'm going to leave most of that up to to, uh, Sister Lydia and Brother Edmund. But I want to share one experience that really impacted me, and it was... Um, our children, I think, were probably already maybe maybe six and maybe nine, something around that. And, and my dad was from the old school, very strict, very not much praise was given out in our home. And as a result, we become products of the way we were raised, and we become even perfectionists in our own state just to prove our worth because maybe we haven't been given that feeling as a child. And I often longed for my dad to praise me because in our home there was no such thing as I can't. You had to do it. And I often remember as a child just crying and praying, Lord, please help me do it because if I go to my dad, I'll be in trouble for not having been able to do it. Yet the expectation was way too high for me and for all of our family. I could tell you stories, all kinds of of the expectations that were too great for us to do. And I'm sure that's very common in all the people my age because that was the norm. And we happened to be coming home from a trip down to Florida, and we stopped in to see my parents on the way. My dad at that point was 90 years of age. And we got talking a little bit, and um, somehow in the conversation, it came through. In his broken English, he said to me, he says, I always thought you were special. I cry when I say it even now. That's how much it impacted me. And then I got thinking, wow, I'm an adult. I'm a mother. And that word impacted me so much. What have I done to my children in reverse or positively that has impacted, that has impacted them? We don't realize the power in words, and, and we really need to be more careful of that. You, this little idea of the silver boxes of encouragement that we've been doing all week came from a book that... Um, I would highly recommend to everyone. It's called Silver Boxes of Encouragement. And that little story about the, her trying to explain the, to minister grace from that verse in Ephesians 4.29 that was on the note in your classes this morning, just that little child caught that idea of, oh, yeah, a word of encouragement is like a silver box all wrapped up with a silver bow on top. And we need to be giving those kinds of things whenever we have the opportunity. Think about your own life. Unless you've experienced some form of violence, probably the worst suffering has come from words used cruelly, criticism, sarcasm, humiliation, and rumors which have caused us word wounds. Every time we open our mouths, we have a choice to make, to encourage, uplift, give hope, or undermine, discourage, and judge. You need to be a good listener if you want to be an encourager. It's always slow to speak. 
we don't have to produce great words of wisdom. Just a few syllables of sympathy. An arm around the shoulder can provide much-needed comfort in a bad situation. And you, you, by actively listening, you get beneath those layers to understand what is really happening and being said. We respect other people's feelings and listen before answering. Be sensitive in your speech. The encourager's response must be well-tuned and suited both to the circumstance and the personality of the one speaking. People often don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They genuinely care about others and speak with a loving concern. Be gentle in your speech. Gentle words are seasoned with grace. You convince the person that there is no need to hide behind their layers. You know how to build relationships and are good at conversation. And you need to, to learn some verbal skills. Reflection. Help that person to reflect back on what they are actually saying and what the real root of the, of the reason is. Clarification. Help them clarify. What, what is it that you meant? Tell me again. I don't know if I fully understand. That helps them to be able to explain a little bit more. Help them to explore and clarify what they're actually trying to say. Give open-ended questions, not just yes-no questions. And it's a talent, I guess, that you develop, and I think everybody can develop it. Some of us maybe are better at it. We are pe people people, and we can relate. And often I know I've gone to other churches, and I'm just by relating to people in that church, let me say, how do you know all those things that are going on in our church? I'm talking to people. And that's often the way it is. When you start to talk to people, you get below those layers. He consciously looks for ways to recognize people's fear and speak to it. And um, he understands that having a heart of love and a goal of speaking to others' fears is the key to learning the prayer of power of encouragement. And you're willing to go out of his circle of comfort and look for others' needs. And that's important. Now, how do we encourage ourselves? There are times when we are all down. What if no one is there for us? What do we do? How do we handle that? Um, there's a, an example in the Bible about um, David when he was being pursued by Saul and he had his band of ragtags that were around him, the 300 men, and then their wives and children were kidnapped and taken away. And these men were going to um, take it all out on David and they wanted to stone him. And the Bible says, and this word really... I, Sometimes you read a verse and it doesn't really impact you until you really look at it specifically. And in 1 Samuel 30, 14, it said, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That was a really low point in his life. Everything that he was striving for was gone and his own people were turning against him. So we need to encourage ourselves. How do we do it? Solitude or silence. So we can talk to God and listen to him. We will not be valuable to anyone if we don't spend time alone. We need to separate ourselves from the noisy, busy world just as Jesus did. Be still and know that I am God. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. We need to spend time daily in the word so that we are strengthened and able to resist temptation. What did King Saul do when he was tempted by that evil spirit? Music, song, those are the comforting things. And they, they encourage our souls like nothing else. So choose songs that are meaningful to you. Use them at a time when you are low. And I think at this point I'll stop and give Sister Lydia a chance now to share some personal experiences. Okay. 
Um, several years ago, I sent out a survey to our CFG. It was actually for a different forum. And uh, one of the questions I asked them was, do you feel like you're loved by your parents? And 100% of them said yes, that they definitely knew that. Uh, the next question that I asked was, um, do you feel like you receive enough words of encouragement and praise from your parents? 100% of those kids said that they did not feel that they were truly appreciated. This really disturbed me as a parent because my kids participated in that survey as well. <laughs> and um, I, so I knew that I needed to change. Um, so I wanted to be not only a more effective encourager to my own children, but to those that were around me. And I wanted to take this ministry seriously. I know that every single person in this room has struggles that you're going through right at this minute. And um, I also know that every single person in this room probably has come through those struggles in some way where God has helped you. And that's why it's so important that when we talk to people and we know that they're going through struggles, we actually transfer our courage to them, as, as was mentioned. And that's why this ministry is so very important. In Romans 1, 8, and 9, Apostle, said, Apostle Paul said that he thanked God for the believers and for their faith, and he makes mention of them in his prayers. He also says later on in Corinthians, I can't stop thanking God for them. And the early church had terrible struggles. They were worried for their lives because they were being persecuted. They were scattered, they feared, and he had letters that he would send out to them. And these letters were passed around to the different churches. And the letters told them, keep courage, keep the faith. No matter what you're going through, the Lord is there and he's going to get you through it. And that's what's so important about our encouragement. Sometimes we can say shallow words or we can say words that we think are going to be encouraging. But the most important thing is to direct each other as believers back to Christ, as Apostle Paul did. What I'm going to talk to you about is the importance of um, letters and cards. And my part is called the right way to encourage, W-R-I-T-E. Um, there are four reasons why this is very important. And the first one, it's deliberate and direct. So the, pow the power is right there in your fingertips. Um, if you don't know what to say to people face-to-face, -face, sometimes, you know, someone will share something and you just don't have anything to say. You have no clue. And other times, if you're like me, you'll sometimes just ramble on and on and on. And then when you leave, you think, oh, I shouldn't have said anything. So you can take time to really pray about the situation in that person's life. And you can see what God would want you to encourage them with. And so you can take time for meaningful, prayerful advice that's from the Lord, not just from what you think would be good. The other reason, number two, is it's definite. How many of you have ever, you know, listened to someone and you said, you know what, let's get together and talk, or, oh, we'll have to have you over sometime, and it just doesn't happen. When you take the time to write something, it has happened, and they get that. The third reason is it's durable. Okay, you can pull it out long after the words of encouragement have been said. How many of you here, raise your hand, have ever received a letter of encouragement or a card from someone? Raise your hand. How many of you still have that letter or card? Exactly. Also, it's distance proof. You can mail a letter or send an email to anyone, anywhere. I know one thing that um, when I was growing up in the Akron area CFG, 
we would send parcels um, to kids that were away at university. We would you know, send cookies, and that was a huge uh, ministry that was so meaningful to those that were living far from home. And missionaries often say that the most important day for them is mail day, and they live off of those letters of encouragement for weeks and months at a time. So it's very important that we do that. I'd like to share an experience that I had about, um, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. Um, I came to camp, and um, as soon as I arrived, I was um, approached if I would please be in a camp forum. I'd never done public speaking before, and it was to be on a panel um, to share some experiences as a young mother. And when I heard who the other women were going to be on the panel, I was so intimidated. And I thought, oh, what can I possibly say? And I hadn't prepared anything. But I asked God that he would just um, help me to share from my heart some things that um, I was doing in in my family. Um, After I presented the forum, I thought, that was so terrible. I am never speaking again as long as I live. And... um, And I thought, you know, I have no clue if what I said was, you know, helpful to anyone. But I just went on. And I did do several forums after that. But um, this year, it was maybe December, I started getting a few emails if I would be interested in um, please doing a few camp forums this year. And I was asked to do, you know, a few other topics. And um, I was going through some really discouraging times personally in my life. Um, We were going through struggles with my sister-in-law, Nicole, that were... Um, you know, really hard to go through, and um, other things that were going on in my family, and um, I was feeling like I don't want to do anything this year, and um, Satan was really discouraging me and even saying, you know, who even cares? Like, you know, what you have to say, it's not even worth it. Like, don't even bother, and I was just really down for just a couple of weeks, and um, I got a Christmas card, and in that Christmas card, there was a letter, and it had my name on it, And it came at exactly the right time. And um, it was from a sister, not from our church. And she um, said that she had been at my camp forum 12 or 13 years ago as a single single person. And she wanted to thank me for doing that. That now as a young mother, she was able to apply some of those things in her life. And she encouraged me to please continue on with this um, ministry of doing forums. And I was just so amazed that this came, like, right at the time when I was, I had to give my answer to Brother Gibb if I was going to be doing any or not. And had that letter come a week later, my response to camp would have probably been, no, I'm going to take the year off. Um, Well, what that did was it also inspired me to send out letters to other people in our church. And uh, Sunday afternoons, uh, we usually come home and we have lunch, and my husband hits the couch. And uh, and so I have a little bit of time, and I like to take that time to reflect on what God wants me to do for that week, Um, who I should pray for specifically that week, what I can do to encourage someone that week. And he spoke to me right there. He put this sister in my heart, and he said, write her a letter now. So I took time to uh, write this letter to her, and I knew she'd been going through a lot of struggles the past number of years. And I went to afternoon church, and she wasn't there, and I gave it to her husband. I said, could you just give this to her? Well, we got to church that night for singing, and um, I sat down, and I got a tap on the shoulder, and it was this sister. And she leaned over, and she said, 
Thank you so much. I was so depressed. I actually didn't come to church this afternoon. I've been just laying in my bed, not wanting to get out of bed. I just can't take life. It's been so hard. And your letter came at the exact time. I'm here at singing, and I want to sing. So it's really amazing that if God puts it in your heart to encourage someone, don't delay. It's amazing how God works because he will send it to someone right at the time that they need it. Uh, since then, we had a topic on encouragement in our home church for the ladies, and um, I gave them several assignments, and one was to um, write out a letter of encouragement to somebody that touched them in their life, whether it was someone way back when you were single, someone that inspired you, or someone even right now that um, has just touched your life and has helped you. And I really encourage you to do that, and especially to take time to fill out this assignment that Margaret has. And the other one is to also to speak personally to someone. Um, go up to them, even here at camp, and um, just say thank you so much for what you're doing. It goes such a long way. The second part I want to talk to you about is um, we keep hearing how tough times we live in. And this is so true. And um, violence has increased. It's in, it's. Uh, children are victimized at home and in our schools. They're neglected. According to social services, it's estimated that 2.7 million children are abused and neglected. This is a 40% increase since 1985. Children are in big trouble because our families and the society are in big trouble. It doesn't only affect our children, it affects the church. I was asked to talk a little bit about encouragement in our families to encourage our children. But God has really been speaking to me not just to talk about our children in our homes, our children in our churches. Our teens really need us. Um, they are going through tough times, and this survey really opened my eyes. Um, what they felt like is they're always looked at like they're bad kids, that we look at them and we see all the negative things. And we do know that they do have attitudes. We know that they're going through tough times. We know they, that they disobey and they're not perfect. But they really need us as a church. And um, if I can just beseech you, reach out to the young kids in our church. And the ways we can do this is, um, number one, give them focused time. So many times after church, during fellowship time, we just go and talk to those people that we enjoy talking to, people of our own age group. I really would ask you to please reach out and go and talk to the teens. Become friends with them and listen to them so that they don't feel rejected and leave. The other one is give them individual affirmation. Um, sometimes they feel like they're supposed to be like a cookie cutter, that everybody expects them to look a certain way, to act a certain way. Um, the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go, he individually. Every one of them has different gifts, and um, look at those gifts. Look at the good qualities that they have, and encourage them in those, and tell them how much you appreciate the wonderful personality that they have or the works that you see in them and give them genuine appreciation that's really what they need and also as margaret sister margaret mentioned is the physical um, affirmation uh, just a pat on the back a squeeze on the shoulder or a hug goes such a long way with these kids um, one thing that um, 
when I was um, really praying about how to be an encourager, um, one thing that I started doing was um, at Christmas, I wrote out a letter to everyone in my family. And what I did was I wrote um, to each of them specifically. They got their own letter on how much I appreciated them through the last year and um, some of the things that I saw that really touched me. And I also wrote them a blessing for the coming year of what I would um, ask the Lord to work in their lives and um, just to encourage them to keep on growing in the Lord. And I would also motivate you to do that to those in your family and the youth in the church and anyone else that God puts in your heart. Thank you. So I think I was asked to uh, join this panel um, to uh, give the, the male perspective on encouragement. And um, I think if you look at the typical male perspective, it's like, you know, this is touchy-feely stuff. I don't want to go there. Uh, and we can, you know. And may, maybe that's really just a matter of some of these defensive layers we use to protect our fragile male egos from expo becoming vulnerable. <clears throat> Um, so, at, men are, and everyone has, has got lots of leadership roles. We oft, often see the, the church leadership, the, the, uh, the, the very visible ones, the speaking ones, but everyone is involved in some <clears throat> leadership, whether it is, you know, as a, as a spouse, as a father, as a, a role model. Everyone is being an influence uh, just to someone else. <clears throat> and... Uh, if you look at what leadership entails, it's really a, it's about, as, as Sister Margaret said, giving this inspiring vision of the future and, and making people believe that we can get there. And so at its essence, it's pretty well, you've got to encourage people. You've got to put courage into them that believe they can, they can do and we can go to a better future. So as a leader, encouraging is really critical. If we look... Uh, Kind of, I think everyone kind of recognizes in the church, you seem to have this 80-20 rule where it always seems to be that 20% of the church is doing 80% of the work. And, and, and uh, I've, I've been in many conversations with that, you know, 20% saying, you know, why is this problem? And, you know, it's, people are just too absorbed in their lives and they're too comfortable. And we come up with a whole bunch of, 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 of reasons we accuse other people for, for not getting involved. But I think if you, instead of blanketing people with, with these, these broad brushes, if you start to interact with them individually, you'll find out often, quite a, a number of, a uh, good portion of the time, there's a discouraged heart where people don't feel appreciated. They, they feel discouraged. And, and those are the real reasons. And yes, because of that, you know, they, they spend time doing other things and, and they don't get involved. But it's a heart of encouragement. So... I think as, as leaders, and you know, the same thing, you know, with my children, you know, the same, same principle applies, you know, you see a bad attitude and you just beat that bad attitude out of the person, often there is a reason why that, that heart is encouraged and we have to be sensitive, uh, discouraged, we have to be sensitive and, and encouraging may make people more, much more productive than just preaching about worldliness. Um, but what Sister Margaret asked me to talk about rather than the responsibility of leaders to encourage, 
is actually the responsibility to encourage leaders. So this is very self-serving. And uh, <clears throat> so if we uh, look in the Bible, that's definitely biblical. Uh, Elijah uh, hit a real point of discouragement. If you, you see him underneath the juniper tree there, he just had his mountaintop experience. He's been able to call fire down from heaven, uh, you know, in presence and kill the 450 prophets. And he had everyone chanting Eliyah, not because they're chanting his name, but because God is Jehovah. He's proven his point and it seems to accomplish nothing. You know, here he is running for his life. People haven't changed. He feels he's like the only one, you know, Lord, you know, I I've been faithful and I'm the only one. And if you listen to his words there, he says, it's enough, take my life, I'm no better than my father's. And, you know, you look at that, when you receive those kind of comparison things, it gives you a hint that, you know, that must have meant he felt he was better than his father's and he's, he's, uh, not, uh, he's, he's not meeting that. Obviously, he's he was looking to, for himself, for his ego, to be somebody in comparison with other people. And that's one of the reasons why he was discouraged. You know, I, and of course, I'm, I'm hiding behind this. This is my defensive layer here because I'm supposed to be sharing personal experiences. At least I found that out this morning at the advertisement. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I certainly can, can relate to, uh, to, to Elijah. And, and, and I've gone through some real periods of discouragement in, in you know, the past year or two. I can, can really relate to, to this sense of feeling like your life is not uh, accomplishing anything and you, you, you're so painfully aware of your, your failures and, and I think this is true not just for me but for other men too you know and I know we, we've been even you know we had a prayer meeting this morning praying for some individual and you think you know Lord help them see their problem but you know I know from talking to the individual they know their problem you know they, they know their failures and, and, and you know um we, we think we're helping the leadership when we point out, you know, their character weaknesses and, and their ineffectiveness of, of whatever, and you're not really necessarily helping them. If this often isn't a revelation, the problem. Uh, what, what, and the effect of, and whenever you are a leader, whenever, you know, it seems that <clears throat> kind of the human nature is, you know, there's this kind of level everyone's common when anyone sticks their head above someone else and, could potentially be a leader, you know, everyone, there's, there's a lot of arrows that get shot, you know, because someone's rising above and there's jealousy, or I don't know what the motivation is, we just, you know, it's a lot easier to, to criticize. And, and so, in fact, the first time I heard this, uh, this phrase was actually with Sister Lydia, I remember her organizing a, 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 a trip to visit the old age home at Massanetta Springs, and on the way back she shared with me this phrase that the horse that pulls the cart is the one that gets whipped. And, uh, <clears throat> and you can see that. I, you look at uh, some of the, the leaders and you know, some of the, my friends that are in, in, in even higher leadership position, you just see the stoop shoulders. You just know all the bashing that's going on, all the criticism, how you know, whatever position they take, you know, they're getting it from both sides. You know, because it's not enough for whatever, you know, polarized sides. And, and they're, they're getting a lot of negative uh, feedback. Lots of friendly fire, if you will. <clears throat> and, and you can imagine what this does to, you know, their feelings. You know, that uh, you know, obviously there's, 
They don't feel the sense of someone's following, that, that someone believes in me. They're, they're, rather, they're, they're feeling they're not believed in, they're, they're not respected. And this, you know, for, for, the, for, the, for the husband who, who, who wants to be a good husband, but, you know, has constantly pointed out his failures, you know, it, it really saps his motivation. It saps his, his energy. It saps his, his drive because, you know, the reason, you know, one of the reasons he wants to do this is because he wants to get that sort of respect. And now it's being, you know, uh, zapped in the same way, you know, at every level, you know, as a father, as a, as a, as a role model, as a church leader, you know, this criticism really, you know, has the opposite effect. And uh, um, not that that's an excuse, you know, not that, you know, us you know, spouses or whatever can sit back and say, see, you know, it's because you don't encourage me. You know, that's what... <laughs> Uh, that we, we heard from Sister Margaret how, how David, you know, was at that point where, you know, his own men were about to stone him. He had lost everything. It's all smoking in front of him, and Ziklag there, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. So, so that doesn't, I'm not here to give us men an excuse for, for, for abandoning our posts, but hopefully to, to um, help us see that we need to respond differently to our leadership and to try to support. And Taking an example of Joshua here in the Bible, it was interesting to me that, that God, even before Joshua came to he, he commanded Moses, says, you have to encourage Joshua. He said, you know, oh boy, this is really small, I'm sorry. Um, but he says, you know, Joshua, which stands for she, she shall go in and encourage him. And this is one of the few times in the King James we have that word encourage. And charge Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him. You know, he, he made sure there was mentorship, that, that there were other role models, the previous role models were taking the time to encourage those who were coming after them. That's not an option. We can't say, well, you know, if, if they're responsible, we'll give them responsibility, and, you know, it's up to God. You no, know, we have a responsibility to encourage those who are coming after us. And then God directly encourages them on the basis of being saturated in the Word. He says, you know, this book of the law shall not depart of their mouth, thou shalt meditate in it day and night, and uh, thou, thou must observe to do all, according to all that is written therein, and then thou shalt have good success. And you know, that it was on the basis of the word, and on the basis, and I find this you know, really true, of, he says, um, Have not I commanded thee, be strong, and of good courage be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee. And whithersoever thou goest, so based on God's presence, that uh, uh, Joshua should be encouraged by God directly. And then at the end of chapter 1, chapter 1 is just full of these words, be strong and very courageous. It's the people themselves repeat the words, but they say, be strong and very courageous. Don't worry, we're going to do what you, we're going to follow you. Well, whoever doesn't follow you, we'll, we'll deal with them. We're going to... We're going to support you. And so this is another major way that we can encourage leadership is by expressing our willingness to follow, even if it's maybe not necessarily they're doing it my way. It's this, sometimes we get this democratic stuff mixed in here, you know, and you'll have my vote if you, you know, that's not the, the scriptural mode of leadership. <clears throat> also, Aaron and her, you know, is a classic example I think we are all, all, all know of where... The battle was decided by God set this up. You know, he set this up that, that Moses had to be on the hill. Joshua was down there with the sword. But Moses had to be up on the hill and he had to lift up his hands and extend God's blessing 
over them. But Moses' hands got tired, and he couldn't have done it. And whenever his hands got tired and the rod went down, the Amalekites were winning the battle against the Israelites. And whenever he was able to lift it up, the, the Israelites were winning. And, you know, isn't this a picture for us, brothers and sisters and friends, about, you know, our own leadership? You know, that when we see the Amalekites winning... You know, maybe we need to take a, a, a page out of the book of Aaron and Hur here and, and, and lift up the arms. See what we can do to, to help offload the, the pressure on their families that often have to go without them. We'll see what we can do to express support for them and to lift up not only their arms but their hearts so that they can have the courage to lift up the arms and that the battle can go the right way. Um, when I was thinking about how, uh, I think Sister Margaret has done an excellent job. And I just wanted to add that the scripture of um, we're all different. And, and one thing I didn't like about me having to talk about leadership, encouraging and being encouraged, is that it tends to draw the line in the church about right here. And says that the important things that happen up here and we're spectating out there and just kind of being cheerleading. And that's, that's not at all the biblical model of the church. And so I want to step away from defining roles of leadership and non-leadership to really the biblical model of all the one another's that we have in the scripture. If you count, there's, there's I don't know, I was ten scores of times in the New Testament where it's talking about one another. And it's not about the leadership encouraging and meeting the needs of all the people, but everyone as a, as a body. And, and if you think about it, it makes sense. How can I encourage someone only if I can relate, if I can understand what they've been through and I can connect to them and, 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 and through you know, what God has comforted me, as the scripture says, I can comfort them. But I haven't gone through what you've gone through. So for, 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 for everyone, there are some people that I can connect to, but there's many I can't. And that's why you can't expect the leadership to be the encouragers of everyone. It, it's you out there that have gone through similar experiences that can connect and meet the needs, only you, that can meet the needs of others because God has comforted you with that situation. So I want to encourage us all to, to, to open our eyes and see how we can meet the needs of one another because we can't leave it all up to, to those uh, in the front. Um, <clears throat> Just, you know, one, one um, final thought here. You know, the church, why do we need it? Uh, you know, there's lots of things we can do on our own. We can read the Bible on our own. We can pray on our own. We can listen to sermons nowadays. You can get it in various formats, radio, MP3, you know, internet. You, there's lots, all that information stuff you can get without going to church. And all that, you know praying and reading and disciplines. You can do a lot of that without going to church and praising God. But uh, even, even evangelizing, you can do all that stuff. But you cannot fulfill the New Testament of all these one another's. Right? You cannot encourage when you're all by yourself. You cannot, because the church is really about relationships. It's about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And uh, that's why we need to be here. We need to do um, what the scripture says. It says that we need to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together 
not just saying, oh, you better be there on Sunday and Wednesday. It's not talking about attendance. It says you've got to come together, not so that you make sure you've got your check marks, but so that you can meet each other's needs. And that's going to take some perception. It says let us consider, if you look at the Greek word, it's to observe fully. You've got to be in tune. You've got to understand what's going on in other people's lives. You've got to care. You can't be just in and out and on to my thing. If you're not spending time and you're relating to people, you can't fulfill this verse. You aren't fulfilling this verse by getting your attendance right. You're only fulfilling these verses if you're perceiving, if you're connecting, if you're understanding what's going on in your hearts and minds, if we're letting down these defensive layers uh, that are covering up our fear and uh, saying, yes, I'm vulnerable, I'm, I'm discouraged, I need help. And then beyond that, to provoke unto love and good works. That's kind of an interesting word because I can understand and I can relate to the, uh, the empathy part of it and I'm, I'm pretty good at, uh, uh, even though I lack the female intuition, I'm still, I can relate to people's pain. But, but here it's not talking about just putting the hand over the shoulder and saying it's okay, it's going to get better, just trust God. It's talking about provoke. It's kind of, it's the, the Greek word is incite. You've got to kind of get them to, to be a, um, to get their focus off themselves and their pain and their past and their problems and, 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 and to, to the vision of, of what God, who God is, how God sees and what God wants them to do. It's because I've been involved in a, a few people that have deep problems and, and looking at various ways to help them and, and, and looking at some ministries that, that have been effective in helping people with, with, with deep problems. And uh, I remember one testimony. This girl had gone to this, this place where they were, were helping people with deep emotional, spiritual, substance abuse, and so on. And she says, you know, was, this place worked for me because um, I was not... Uh, all the secular places, it was, you know, come to therapy, sit down, analyze your problem, look at your past. It was all about me. And that didn't help me. You know, but this place, it was about Jesus Christ and about what he had done. The focus was off of me and forward onto what he had done. And I had to, I had to actually get involved and, and, and pitch in and do. And that really was therapeutic for them. And so also to call near to exhort. So these are, that's kind of encouragement is more the main people feel good. It's getting them, seeing the vision, what they can do. I'm seeing my time, our time is up. <clears throat>
Kittens crave them, puppies love them, heads of states are not above them. A hug can break the language barrier and make your travels so much merrier. No need to fret about your store of them. The more you give, there's more of them. So stretch those arms without delay. Give someone a hug today. And as you get older, it's easier to do because you really don't have to worry. You can hug anybody, anytime. (laughs) 